the past month and a half or so on the altar. What the altar is, the altar seems to have disappeared uh, from our church, from many of our churches, from the architecture, from the experience. Um, you know, it's, one, it's wonderful that we know that the Lord lives in our heart. It's wonderful that we know that wherever we are, we can pray, commune with Him. Uh, we don't have to go to a certain place. But there is a principle, the principle of the altar. And it didn't disappear just because the New Testament uh, came into being. And so there's a great principle, and I've been sharing it, and I believe God's wanting to restore it to the body of Christ. So um, I, want to, I want to begin this Sunday sort of a new series surrounding the altar, and I'm, I call it Stories from the Altar. And uh, this Sunday, I'm going to begin with the story of Abraham and the Jehovah Jireh altar. Probably the most significant and powerful altar in the Bible, the altar that Abraham named Jehovah Jireh. I just want to say to you, just to, just to kind of uh, encapsulate your thinking with why this is all significant, as I've said in the previous messages, there are places where God and man meet. And business between heaven and earth is transacted. And those places are called altars. Now, the, what makes the altar, what causes the altar to be that place of connection and communion is the presence of God. The altar is activated, if you want to think of it like that, when God's presence shows up there. And when the presence of God is there, the altar has power to make the things that are offered upon it the possession of God. And Jesus endorsed that thought in Matthew 23 and 19 when he said, For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So if your life has been laid upon God's altar, guess what? By the presence of the Lord, your life was made sacred. You were saved. You were born again. When you've given things to the Lord, you've laid them upon the altar. When it wasn't just the side of your bed or some wooden altar somewhere and, um, and some kind of divided heart, somewhat meaningless uh, gesture of prayer, but there was communion. The presence of God was there. Whatever it is you laid on that altar became sacred, the property of God. Hallelujah. All right, our first story that we'll share today is the story of Abraham and the Jehovah Jireh altar. And let me read the accounts, a little bit lengthy, but I, you know, I wrestled with this. I thought, man, you know, I'll just do shorthand, but I really believe I need to read it. You need to hear it. Genesis 22, first 18 verses. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Now let me pause and just bring you up to date. God had promised Abraham, whose wife was barren, they would have a son. They had no children. And that their son would become, become the first of a multitude of seed that would encompass the whole world. And that the Savior would come through Abraham's lineage. So that first son was Isaac. And God miraculously gave him Isaac when Sarah was 90, Abraham was 99. 
Sometime later, Isaac's probably in his teens at this point, God tested Abraham's faith. We're going back to the narrative. Abraham, God called. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. God, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, go to the land of Moriah and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. So Moriah was a uh, collection of hills in a particular area. If you don't know where that area is, you'll find out as this message goes along. So the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his servants along with him and his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire, for a burnt offering, and he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, so they're traveling three days, some distance, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkeys, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther and we will worship there and then, listen remarkably if you're already ahead of me and you know what's about to happen, Abraham says to the servants, we, Isaac and I, will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and a knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac turns to his father, Abraham, and says, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replies. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Abraham's reply, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied up his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that very moment, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, I would imagine if I was Abraham, I'd be, yes. <laughs> Abraham replies, yes, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. And you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham then named the place Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord, the provision will be seen. Or on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and you have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. 
I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. How many of you know where Mount Moriah is? Well, Mount Moriah is the mountain Jerusalem is sitting upon. That's Mount Moriah. It's actually a cluster of hills. And the hill that Abraham saw that God pointed out to him, God picked a hill. Abraham had to travel three days to get to that hill. He had to look for it. God had described it. When Abraham saw it, he knew by the Spirit, that is the hill that I'm to take Isaac up and sacrifice him to the Lord. God had already chosen the hill. That hill is better known to us as Golgotha or Calvary. It is the hill upon which the Lamb of God was sacrificed over 2,000 years after Abraham offered up Isaac. Just kind of sends chills up and down your backbone when you think about it. God has plans so far in advance and nothing has happened in his ordered plans that is not with a great, great purpose. There are a couple of great lessons taken from the Jehovah Jireh altar. One of the first things I'd like to point out as we go to take a look at this first lesson is that most Christians are somewhat familiar with the term or the name Jehovah Jireh. It's one of the eight compound covenant Old Testament names of God. Those compound covenant names were the Lord my righteousness, Jehovah Sid Canoe, the Lord my peace, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah Rohi, the Lord my shepherd. And so these were aspects of God's covenant that he had made with us, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that were compound together with the word Jehovah or the Lord. The Lord is my righteousness. The word Jireh is the Lord will provide or his provision will be seen. But put together as Jehovah Jireh, most of us have sung songs, Jehovah Jireh. We've heard messages, Jehovah Jireh. Oftentimes we say, don't worry, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Is there anybody here this morning who has brought a request before the Lord for a provision and the Lord didn't provide? I have certainly evoked the name of Jesus with my mind towards the promise of Jehovah Jireh and didn't see the provision. You see, Jehovah Jireh doesn't mean that just because you need something, God's going to provide it under any conditions in any place. The term Jehovah Jireh associated with this altar was very specific. And it literally is this. In the mountain of the Lord, the provision will be seen. What was that mountain? What was what would later become Golgotha? What was that particular hill in the cluster of hills called Moriah? That hill was a place 
that God drew Abraham, and Abraham came with his son, ready to sacrifice his son, whom he loved more than his own life. In fact, Isaac was not just one of many sons. He was his only son. More than that, Isaac was the son upon which the promises of God relied. God said, through Isaac will your descendants multiply. A Messiah will come and the nations will be turned to me through your son Isaac. So Abraham understands Isaac has a destiny. And Isaac certainly can't die. But God says, take him up on that hill and sacrifice him to me. And I want to be honest with you. I mean, I, I came out of atheism. I didn't have a Christian background or anything. So when I first got saved, I opened the Bible for the very first time in my life. I had never cracked a Bible open. Didn't know anything about it. Didn't know anything about Jesus. So some of the things that I read about in the scriptures took a little bit for me to get my mind around. When I came to this story, it definitely challenged me. Why would God... Why is God testing Abraham's faith by asking him to kill and sacrifice his son? Can you think of another way that he could give Isaac to God? He could aim him towards God. He could teach him about God, but he still has possession of his son. The only way he can go to God is he's got to leave this world. Death is the only door by which he could offer. So uh, uh, Jehovah Jireh altar wasn't about murder, wasn't about human sacrifice, wasn't about slaying his son. It was about doing the only thing he could possibly do to fulfill, give your son back to me. And I'm sure all the thoughts had gone through his mind. Why did you give him to me in the first place? Why did you tell me all these things? Why did you tell me that the world will be saved through Isaac? And the answer is found in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises, which is Abraham, was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He reasoned that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In other words, when the angel stopped him, Isaac was as good as dead. Had the angel not stepped in at that moment, Isaac would be dead. The deed was done. You ever notice how Jesus said, you've done it in your heart? We cross certain lines. We've done it, something in our heart. God saw Abraham. He said, no, no, no. We need him alive. We need him alive. But Abraham and God, in that sacred moment, were locked in eternal covenant together. And the nature of a covenant, similar to the covenant Kathy and I entered into a little over 50 years ago, the two became one. All of my liabilities and all of my assets became hers, and all of her liabilities and all of her assets became mine. Her friends, her family became mine. 
My friends, my enemies became her. If I had trouble, it was now her trouble. If she had trouble, it was now my trouble. So she inherited everything about me, my liabilities and my assets, and uh, still working through the liabilities. But um, that is the nature of covenant. The two parts die to their singular existence in order to be given to make up one whole new being. And that is what Abraham and God were working out there at Jehovah Jireh altar. There on top of Mount Moriah, on top of Golgotha, was they were acting in covenant. Abraham's enemies, Abraham's problem, had now become God's enemy and God's problem. God was obligated to reach into his great treasure, his great reserve of grace and power and authority, and come up with a means of delivering Abraham from his great enemy, sin and death. Not just the Amorites and the Hivites, but the sin and the death that enslaved the human race. God had the human race up there on top of Mount Moriah in the person of Abraham. And the reason Abraham got God to show up wasn't because it was God's will. Or I should say it wasn't just because it was God's will. It was because with all Abraham's heart, he believed it was God's will. And Abraham loved the purposes of God. He lived for the purposes of God. Indeed, for probably 30-some-odd years, his life had been about nothing more than God's purpose. He lived for the purpose of God. So when, when he went up that hill, he brought his son with him because he had put it together in his mind. If I slay him to give him to God, God's going to give him back to me. And that's why he said to the servants, Isaac and I will come back. I don't know how, but we'll come back together. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God had a plan. He knew man needed help. And so he found a man that would live for and love and be devoted to the plan of God, the purposes of God. And so God gave him a son to provoke God to give us a son. And the Lord stopped him and said, the Lord will provide a sacrifice. And God, God in, in, in between the lines in the Nick version of the Bible, God said, I appreciate offering Isaac, but you're going to need a better son. You're going to need something a little better if it's going to accomplish the purpose that I brought you up on top of this hill to accomplish. And in the very same little piece of real estate, of all the places on the face of the earth, that one place, that one mountain of Moriah, 2,000 and about 21 years later, became Calvary. It was called Golgotha, the place of the skull, the very same spot, a son. Well, the act that Abraham began God just paused it. He hit the pause button. You remember the old tape decks? Hit the pause button. Maybe a remote TV, pause button. Pause the recording. 
God hit the pause. 2,000 years later, he released it and traded Isaac for Jesus. Jesus who told us he was the son of man, the son of Abraham. Jesus was our son. Jesus represented us as Isaac had represented us. So one of the, one of the first principles about the uh, Jehovah Jireh altar is that God's provision, we think, oh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides, and we use that almost like a vending machine. We don't have vending machines too much anymore, but, you know, a, a pitcher, if I need something wherever I'm at, I can just pop into the 7-Eleven and I can get myself, you know, a bag of chips or whatever, whatever I need. That we see that, that God wants to meet our needs, and so if we just ask, our needs will be met. And nothing could be, nothing could be wrong with that. God absolutely wants to meet our needs. But the, but the way in which it's done has to be that those needs are met by him giving us, consolidating everything we need into that one gift, Jesus. Jesus, our healer. Jesus, our provider. Jesus, our deliverer. And so, in the mountain of the Lord, upon that altar, God gives us everything that we need. So God's provision doesn't result from getting God to want what you want. God's provision is the result of getting you to want what God wants. Hallelujah. You know, as I meditated on this message, one thing just began to just emerge within my heart. God's purpose mattered to Abraham. Abraham loved and had complete faith in the purpose of God. The thought that God has a plan, the thought that God was willing to engage Abraham in a plan was the thing he loved more than anything. It meant more than Isaac to him. It meant everything to him. Had Abraham not held God's purpose as the ultimate love of his life, he wouldn't have drugged his son anywhere near that hill because Abraham was not about to sacrifice his son. Abraham was not about to kill his son. The idea to him was repugnant to be without his son. Why did he do it? Because he knew that the promise of God was attached to his son. He knew God couldn't take his son away. He didn't know how God was going to work it out, but listen to me. He knew God could not take Isaac away because God had said, through Isaac, the Messiah will come. Through Isaac, the nations will be blessed. That's, do you see? That's where the man came up with the faith. God wasn't testing his faith, saying, kill your son and that'll prove that if that were it, people would be running all over the place, like a bunch of terrorists, killing their children and sacrificing them and offering them up. You see that it had nothing to do with that. There was, a, there was a purpose that was tied to Isaac. And as I said, it was his love for God's purpose that made Abram believe, if I lay Isaac on this altar... I'm not going to lose him. 
I'm going to give him to God, but God's going to have to give him back because God's promise is attached to Isaac. So it was Abraham's love and faith in the promises of God that brought God to that altar. And in, in that moment of faith between God and between a man who loved the purposes of God and fellowshiped with God in that purpose, in that moment of faith, 4,000 years ago, eternal life re-entered the world. It had left when Adam sinned and had never been back. In that moment of covenant communion at that altar, life, hope, faith, in fact, let me tell you what happened at that altar. Jesus entered the loins of Abraham. Up till that point, it was a promise that God had made to him. But at that very moment, the material that produced Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, God made flesh, entered into Abraham. At that moment, since God is timeless, and exists in the past, the present, and the future, all at the same time, Mary became pregnant with the Holy Spirit. The moment that knife stopped over Isaac, Mary conceived. That's what God wanted to do from the very beginning. At that very moment, that hill of Moriah became Calvary, became Golgotha. You know, every human, you and I, every human to whom God's purposes matter. And let me just stop and say, does, do you think about the purpose of God? Does it drive your life? When you make plans, what you're going to do with your week, your month, your year, your life. Does the one thing that rises up and becomes preeminent is what is the purpose of God? The purpose of God, what is it? Because that is the mountain on which my life has significance. Otherwise, it's just in the valley of the world and of sin, and I'm just like everybody else, just running around in a circle on a wheel. But every person to whom the purpose of God really mattered more than anything else joined Abraham on the hill that day. You were there. That's why today you're called the children of Abraham. That's why Paul said that you have inherited the faith of your father Abraham by faith. And you were also at Calvary. You were on Golgotha's hill. When Jesus died, you were there. When he said, Father, forgive them, he was talking to you. He wasn't just talking to those people that were out in front of him. He was talking to you because you were there. In Jesus' mind, he remembered like it was just a moment in time, standing with Abraham when Abraham was about to give up his son. Jesus knew that Abraham's act of faith had summoned him into the world as the Lamb of God. Can you see why God's altars are so powerful, so significant? Transactions take place that have eternal power and consequence. So oftentimes when you and I walk with God, we have to surrender the natural means that God has given us of fulfilling 
the mission in life we feel that he's put before us. So often as we have to surrender, give those means back to God. Just as Abraham, God gave him the one tool that would make Abraham's life count for something, and that was Isaac. But God said, give it back to me. But God in turn turned it around. He walked up the hill with Isaac. He walked down with Jesus. Hallelujah. If you want to think about it like that, what has God given you? What are the Isaacs in your life? Think about it. They could be talents. They could be positions. They could be little things. They could be big things. But anything that God has given you, has God ever told you, I want you to take it up to Moriah? I want you to lay it before me. Surrender it as though it were dead. Give it up. Give it back to me. And trust me. You'll walk back that hill, down that hill, with Jesus, not just with your Isaac, but with Jesus. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Isaac was the means, but Jesus is the purpose. Your Isaac, the things that God has given you, they are simply seeds that God has given you. Seeds to plant at the altar so that you can receive what God has covenanted to give to you. We can't buy the blessings of God, and that's not what this is about. But God has given us tremendous and great purpose and invited us to participate. It's at the altar where we connect and experience those transitions. So many people, and I'm going to close with this thought, so many people today simply couldn't care less about living for God's purpose. I certainly was one of them. As an atheist, I, I, it was an insult to my intelligence. So many people today see nothing higher than themselves. They are the highest mountain in the mountain range of their life. They are what matters in their own life. And they couldn't care less about living for the purposes of God. They love nothing beyond self. They eat their seed without any thought of sowing. You know, a, sar uh, a farmer will be out of business and his family will eventually starve if he just eats his seed all the time. But our culture today is all about eating your seed and not about sowing, not about living for something that is higher than yourself. That God has called us up to the altar of Jehovah Jireh. Jesus said when he was about to go to Calvary, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat, a seed of wheat, is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. And its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it unto eternal life. Everyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Jesus entered the world, Jesus entered the world on top of Mount Moriah. That's where he came into the world. I know he was born in Bethlehem physically, but Jesus really entered the world that day on Mount Moriah with Abraham. And that was the place he was offered up 
and left the world, and we were with him. And so Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to be where I am. All of us need a Jehovah Jireh in our life. All of us need an altar where we can bring our life and let God sort things out. Give to God, back to God, the Isaacs that we are struggling to strain meaning and fulfillment out of. The things that God has blessed you with. Think of, of, of Isaac and Abraham. Perhaps a ministry, perhaps some purpose. And you're out there trying to live that purpose and get fulfillment. But maybe God is saying, you need to find a Jehovah Jireh altar. You need to realign your vision so that my purpose becomes more important than the means I've given you to fulfill it. That's what God is looking for today, is for us to love his purpose more than anything else and to live for it. And God will bless those Isaacs. Here's our altar call. We're going to do something unusual. I suppose you recognize this red box sitting in front of you this morning. You must be thinking, what is that, by the way? Uh, it's a red box. So I have been preaching about the, um, the altar of God and the altars of God. And there needs to be, besides your bed or a place in your home where you go and you meet with the Lord. And when we come to church, there needs to be an altar. There needs to be a place where we connect, where we make those connections. Spiritual people know this intuitively. So what I've done is Kathy and I have decided we're just going to make a little Jehovah Jireh altar where we can place our commitments and our requests before God. And every week come up and stand on those claims, renew those commitments, and place those requests before the Lord. Lord, I need help in this area. God said, I'll hear you at that altar. And so, Diane, where's our people? So over here, let me grab this. Maybe I should do it. What we've done is we've got these envelopes. I'm going to take one of them. Come on up here, Jacob. And let me just tell everyone what it is. And if you want to get one of these from Jacob, it's an envelope. It's got a couple three-by-five cards in it. And we've got these pens. And you 